ora. I'm Laura Clark, the British High Commissioner to New Zealand. Welcome to another episode of Tea with the High Commission, the British High Commission's podcast, where we interview a range of interesting people talking about anything and everything, and in the process discover the great connections between the UK and New Zealand. Kia ora koutou. Um, my guest today on Tea with the High Commission is the British actress Juliet Stevenson, who is probably best known for her roles in films such as Truly Madly Deeply and Bend It Like Beckham. But she's also an extraordinary stage actress. And I remember I last saw her on stage in Mary Stewart at the Almeida in Islington. Now she's been nominated for and won more acting awards than I can possibly list. And she's coming to us here on Tea with the High Commission because she is bringing her innovative production Blindness to New Zealand for the upcoming Auckland Writers Festival. Um, and that's supported by the British Council here in New Zealand. Now, Blindness um, is a unique sound installation that sees Juliet narrate a global pandemic of infectious blindness. And it was originally staged at London's Donmar Warehouse um, in the UK summer last year. Well, Juliet, no my heidemai, a big welcome uh, to Tea with the High Commission. Thank you. How lovely to be here. It's lovely to have you here. And I'm delighted that you're bringing blindness to New Zealand, even though it's very sadly a virtual visit, as all our visitors are these days, rather than a physical one. Um, but luckily, we've met um, before, so I can kind of imagine you sitting here and having a cup of tea with me. So a, a recent a, a Guardian review uh, described blindness as a blazing pandemic tale, brilliantly too close uh, for comfort. Can you tell us a bit more about the production? It's an extraordinary book. It's a novel that was written um, in the early 1990s by a Portuguese writer called um, Jose Saramago. Many of your listeners, I'm sure, will know it. It's a, it's a very sort of famous book in Portugal. It's one of their sort of classics, modern classics. Um, and he wrote, long before any of us had heard of COVID, he wrote a book about um, a pandemic, about well, an epidemic of blindness in this situation. So the, it starts with one man driving his car, stops at a red light, light turns green, he doesn't move, everybody starts blowing their horns, nobody knows what's the matter. Finally, somebody gets out, goes over to the car, knocks on the window, and the guy is shouting, I've gone blind, I've gone blind. And that's the first person to go down with this. So they pull him out of the car and somebody drives him home and gets him back into his apartment and then that person goes blind and within hours it's ripped through this city this incredibly contagious blindness uh, everybody who's ill and sick is with with this with this uh, viral blindness is placed in an institution out of town and then it becomes a bit like lord of the flies which is guarded by the military but then it's sort of survival of the fittest inside it descends into a kind of hell so it's really quite an epic tale of contagion infection um, and then sort of incarceration of the sick and of the diseased in this into the disused asylum they're quite sort of graphic images but i play a character the only woman the only person who does not go blind who retains her sight is this woman and she becomes their leader she leads them. but it's a huge cast and nobody could afford to do it as a full-scale production and so the writer wonderful adapter simon stevens who adapted the novel said well why don't we do it as a one-woman show and i said this was way before COVID. And I said, how can you possibly do that? I mean, there's hundreds of people. And he said, just leave it with me. So he went away and he rewrote it as a huge monologue. Anyway, along comes COVID, all the theaters shut down. And about three months into lockdown, he rang me up and said, 
why don't we do this? This one woman, this huge monologue about a pandemic. Why don't we do it as a piece of lockdown theater? On, on in, in this incredible sound installation. The sound system is called binaural sound. And when you record it, it records it 360 degrees. So in the same way that you're sitting on a park bench, you'll hear, you'll locate the sound of planes overhead, the bird song in the trees, the little squirrel running along at your feet, a tin can rolling down the pavement. You can, you can locate all sound in 360 degrees around you. And that's how the sound system works. And so when the audience sit in the, in the theater, with their cans on. They'll hear me whispering in one ear, then whispering in the other, then walking slowly around and then running over to the far side of the room. And it's, it's magical sound system. You can't believe there isn't somebody in the room. And they listen to it in not pitch darkness, but um, semi-darkness. So really it's all about a sound story they're told, but it's not really, it's not like an audio book. They are really inhabiting the experience. Well, I just can't wait to, to see it when it comes here and to actually be there. And, and a very different type of, of theatre experience, actually. Yeah. I'll just say uh, right now for our audiences listening, as we're talking about sound, if you're picking up a bit of background noise, I think it's because Julia is in a service station somewhere on the, on the drive between London and Bristol and has very kindly come off the motorway to do this podcast. Sorry about the ambient noise. Yeah. <laughs> a bit of an immersive experience here as well. It's fascinating and it's of course, um, and it was staged in a socially distanced way as well, wasn't it, at the Donmar? Yes, it was amazing. It was amazing, Laura, because the whole city had closed down, shut down. Everything was shut. London was a, central London was a ghost town. And yet this one theatre opened. Audiences queued outside, lucky it was summer and it was, it was warm. And they were led in one by one. Or you could go in a pair if you were there with a, you know, a partner. You could go in a pair, but in your bubble. But on the whole, led in either one by one or in couples. Um, until, and then as you walked into the dark auditorium, all the seats were, were arranged very rather beautifully at funny angles to each other. So you were never sitting next to someone. You were always... And, and then a light would come on above your chair as you were brought in by the usher. And then you sat down and the light would go out. And then the next person brought in. So nobody was anywhere near anybody else. And it, it, they turned the sort of necessity of distancing two meters into a really lovely ritual of welcome. I think people said, I mean, with lots and lots of sort of, you know, research done with asking audiences for feedback and everybody said they had felt very safe. So very much a production for the COVID era and very relevant, of course, for the COVID era. Uh, tell me a bit, because of course, you know, we feel a bit sheltered from COVID over here in New Zealand, but tell me about the impact of the pandemic on the creative sector in the UK and particularly on actors. I mean, I know it's been really devastating and, and we're a long way from being out of the woods. It's, I mean, catastrophically devastating. I mean, it's just been heartbreaking. You know, I went, I went to see that Boston Theatre the other day and there were sort of weeds and dandelions growing in the, in the cracks in the pavement. The stage door had not been opened in a year and I thought it was an incredibly poignant sight. Um, and I think, you know, there's a campaign on that moment called First In, Last Out. We were the first to be locked down and we will be the last to be allowed back in, I think, because, of course, by definition, you know, it's about lots of people coming, sitting close to each other and breathing the same air. But, but I think there has been 
there have been some wonderful campaigns to support each other. There has been great inventiveness online. But I mean, I, you know, you'll get different answers from different people, but I personally don't think anything that happens online is an alternative. I think it's fantastic that people have found ways of streaming work and making work, but it's not, it's not theater. That has to be a live event. That's its definition. Because audiences are a huge part of the event. And when they're not there, um, yeah. But on the, good, on the other hand, and I'll shut up in a minute, there will be a huge surge. There'll be a tsunami of creativity. That's for well, sure. I was very gonna, yeah. I was going to ask, actually, do you think, because of course, times of great challenge often bring a great surge of creativity yeah. afterwards and real, yeah. really innovative thinking, not just in terms of the the substance, the creative substance, but also how you stage things or how you bring things to audiences. Yeah. So do you think there's yeah. going to be a big, a big change, a big, you know, uh, increase in creativity as a consequence of it? I think there'll be, you know, pent up creativity. Like you take a, take a small child and take all their toys away for, you know, a couple of weeks or something, give them back. I mean, they're going to, you know, actors are a bit like that. We are playing, a play is called a play for a reason. I think there's going to be a huge surge of creativity. There's going to be a kind of running back to, and I think, you know, we're a very inventive and quite flexible bunch of people. I think there's always been periods throughout history where the arts have gone under or they've been, you know, banned or they've had to go underground or we always find a way. And sometimes, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And I know there'll be, there'll probably be really interesting versions of outdoor theater. I know already there's a couple of outdoor theaters being built for that reason. But we'll see, we'll have to find our way. But for sure, there'll be all sorts of inventiveness and creativity. Yeah. So, um, we're very sorry that you're not able to uh, come out in person with this production. Um, because of course, if you did, you know, the New Zealanders favorite question to any visitor is, you know, whether you like it here in New Zealand and what you like best about New Zealand. I think it's a sort of irresistible urge, but you've not visited before. So can you tell us what do you like most about New Zealand uh, from afar? I mean, going, coming to New Zealand is a dream. My husband's an anthropologist. We've right. been in Australia together, but very, very, very different culture, I know. So coming to New Zealand was a dream. And in fact, I was going to come a year ago um, when, I was, when I took the most recent play I was doing, not, the, not Blindness, the one proper full-scale production, to the Australian, uh, the Adelaide International Theatre Festival. And then after that was finished, I was going to come to New Zealand just to do some exploring because I've been longing to come. Mm. And then, of course, we all had to rush home to lockdown. Everybody had to cut short there. So it's, it's a sort of for us, you know, I, but I suppose I imagine the most incredibly beautiful landscapes. It's my dream is these incredible landscapes, space, scale, huge variety of landscape. I imagine warmth. I imagine, you know, I, I've always thought that New Zealand is a country where its indigenous culture is quite sophisticatedly part of the culture of the country. And, and do you have a, a favourite New Zealand film or actor? Oh, I'll tell you, Catherine Mansfield was one of my great, she's, she was a New Zealander. She was yeah, one of, she's she one of my yeah. absolutely yeah. favourite writers. And she's probably my, yeah, one of my iconic sort of pin-up writers. And she was from New Zealand, wasn't she? She was, absolutely, yeah. She lived she's here. She's the greatest Hitler short story writer yeah. ever, you know, yeah. in space. So, yeah, okay, I'll go for, I'll go for Catherine Mansfield. Great. Uh, now, tell me, you've had the most extraordinary career on stage, on screen, um, as a narrator. But acting is, is not an easy life. So what have, the, what have the biggest challenges been? Oh, what a great question. I think the biggest challenge for me, and this is not true of all actors, is that I passionately love acting, but I do not love the industry. Mm. 
I'm, I'm quite, I know it sounds hard to believe, I'm quite a shy person when it comes to putting myself out there in public. So the whole aspect of this industry, especially when you, when you have some luck and you get some recognition, the whole thing of red carpets and first nights and awards ceremonies. And, I mean, I'm almost phobically frightened of them. Right. I, had to, I, I have to be dragged to them screaming. And I sometimes have just canceled at the last minute, but I can't, I can't walk down that red carpet. I, I, I find putting myself on, in that kind of spotlight very difficult. I'll happily go out on any stage pretending to be somebody else and be quite brave out there, do crazy things out mm. there as somebody else. But if it's me out there, I find that really hard. So the whole schmoozing and, you know, that whole bit of the industry, which is about, it's not a place I feel safe, actually. Yeah. That's so I've, I've, I've very much taken refuge in being a mum, you know, mm. in my family life, having the kids. And so I work and then I go home to my kids. I'm very interested in all sorts of other things. I've started doing a lot of painting, oil painting recently. I've long been interested in the whole refugee things. So I've done a lot of work um, for refugee charities. I was in Calais, in the jungle in Calais, which I'm sure you've all heard about. Um, so I, very, I love working in those sorts of communities. Um, but I find, I suppose overall, looking back, I would say I find the industry tough. And, and the way you have to, you're constantly knocked down by it. I mean, you know, I'm, I've been very lucky and I've been working 42 years or something. I'm still beaten up by a rejection. You'd think by my age I would be able to get some sort of fairly stable plateau, but I think we, we never feel that. We're always employees and we're always... So you have to, you have to be quite tough and I'm not always as tough as, as it would be helpful to be. That's fascinating, isn't it? Because, yeah, it's almost as though you are seen to be public property, but in fact, every actor yeah. is also a private person and it sounds like you're yeah. a very private person and you're able I am to a very, put on your yeah. acting hat or you're sort of you take on your persona when you're acting but you don't yeah. do all that red carpet stuff no i mean the, but that, i mean people say why are you getting i had to go and give a, a speech at my daughter's school and i was waiting outside um to, to go onto the stage with the headmistress and i was very nervous and she said my goodness juliet i'm very surprised you seem very apprehensive and nervous i said i'm terrified and she said i'm astonished i said well, why, why are you astonished and she said don't you do this all the time? I said, no, this is absolutely the opposite of what I do. Right, yes. You go out on stages and give speeches, you're a headmistress, but I only go out there if I'm, you know, I'm disguised as somebody else and, and I'm not me out there. I'm, I'm so it's, it's, a, it's a really, I can do it if I'm talking about something I feel strongly about. I'll go out on a stage and talk about refugees or the yeah. need to change the law or, you know, something like that. So what advice would you have um, for young people embarking on an acting career. You'll have lots of people listening who would love to do what you do. I would say, you know, if you feel absolutely passionate about it, then you really must give it a go. If you feel less than passionate about it, if you think, shall I be a teacher? Shall I teach drama or shall I be an actor or shall I do, then don't. I mean, you think it's, it's a really, really tough profession and you have to be dogged about wanting to do it. If you are dogged and passionate and single-minded about wanting to do it, then do it. And don't be put off by very well-meaning parents and teachers who say, yes, it's a lovely idea, darling, but meanwhile, do go to university and get yourself a safe degree or get a qualification. I didn't do that. All my, my lovely parents and my lovely teachers all said, yes, great, Judith, but you know, read drama at university is a subject, but don't even think of being an actor. It's like being an astronaut, you know, it's never going to happen. And I thought, 
but I don't want to end up teaching drama, although that's a very wonderful thing to do, but it's not for me. I, I, I know I want to act or I'll do something completely different, but I don't want to sort of compromise and find some safe version. Mm. And mm. I would say, if you feel so ardent, so passionate about it, then follow every instinct in you. But be prepared to train. Don't think of doing it without training, I don't think. Because you may have an amazing career for three or four years based on youth and energy and talent. But it probably won't sustain. And I think if you want a serious career that lasts, then training is really necessary. Um, and be prepared to really get punched and stand up again and get punched again, stand up again. You know, you've got to go with the, go with the, with the flow and with the blows. Yeah. Um, but, it's, but, it's a, but it's a wonderful thing to do if that's what you feel strongly about. It seems to me you absolutely need that drive, don't you, in your belly, that yeah. burning desire to do it. And extraordinary yeah. resilience as well. Yeah, I mean, that's not easily, you know, I say that I'm not tough myself. I mean, even recently, you know, I tried for a Hollywood thing and had to put myself on tape and didn't get it. And I was terribly upset and depressed. You know, look, look at me. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a granny. So it's absurd. But, but um, yeah, it's, it's, you, do, you do have to be able to handle that, which is not for everybody. Yeah. So tell me, Julia, it's been so nice talking to you. I've got one more question, which is that COVID, of course, has been an enormous marathon and we've got a lot more ahead, I think. Um, and we all have such a rich menu of things to worry about right now. Um, so my question, rather counterintuitively, is, is how do you unwind or relax? And also, where do you find sources of optimism? Oh, what a lovely question. I always find sources of optimism in the young. Um, I, we've got children um, in their 20s and 30s in our family. I've made lots of friends in the industry with young actors. You know, I absolutely love friendships that I've made. I think one of the beauties of our, one of the many beauties of our industry is you can make friendships across generations, across all identities. So I've got really good friends in their 20s, really good friends in their early 30s. I'm way old enough to be the mum. In fact, I probably played their mum in something and then became friends on a film set or something. And we've just, and I just, it's oxygen to me because I am just blown away by the young of the world. Their engagement with environmental issues, which I feel very, very strongly about myself. Their, you know, their, the protest movements that they're often at the center of or driven, driven by the young. So that's a source of optimism. Um, in the lockdown, we've been, we've turned the whole of the garden into a big vegetable patch. We've grown all our own vegetables. So that's been a really lovely thing. Never thought I'd say that, but I've got huge pleasure out of, oh, and I started painting, going mad without acting, going bonkers without sort of being able to act for a year. I thought, I've got to do something creative. So I went, I did a, a, a Zoom oil painting class and got completely obsessed. And I'm quite active politically as well. So that's a source of a lot of interest. Wonderful. Well, look, Julia, it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming off the motorway uh, and making time. And I am hugely looking forward to, um, to going to see Blindness up in Auckland, at the Auckland Writers Festival. So thank you very much and, and good luck with all, all your work um, back home in the UK. Thank you. And it's lovely, lovely to think of the show coming to New Zealand. It's lovely just to be there, even if it's only... Um, as a voice, as, an, as a hollow voice in, a, in an auditorium. But I hope people enjoy the show. Thanks very much. Take care. Right. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review as it helps others find us. And remember, you can subscribe to us by searching for Tea with the High Commission on iTunes or Spotify. Thank you. Kakiti anō.